Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. <laughs> How's everybody doing today? How's everybody feeling out there? Um, we, were, we ended the last episode kind of quickly trying to wrap up about the boys TV show. Um, we are going to talk a lot more about Roe versus Wade, the overturning of it on this episode. But right before we started recording, Abby, we were talking about how even shows like The Boys, even though we like them, uh, it feels like they are generally designed to stretch things out indefinitely to the point where even when you think consequential things are going to happen on the show, major characters being killed or anything major happening, it always seems to kind of get resolved to the point where it doesn't fundamentally change anything too much so that the next season can happen essentially on pretty much any show. Uh, you go to even a show like Ozark, you know, that's even modeled after these shows like Breaking Bad, which had a definitive ending. It feels kind of similar. It just keeps going and going. Um, but I know one of my favorite shows, and I think you probably already know this is better call Saul, not because I was, you know, I was a big fan of Breaking Bad, but I've actually grown to feel that Better Call Saul is maybe even a better show than Breaking Bad, um, which I never would have thought I would feel, you know, in the first season. It always seemed to me like I was living in the shadow of it, but I almost find it more interesting and more rewatchable than Breaking Bad was. Like I, I rewatched all of season five in preparation for season six, and I, I loved it even more. Like I, it's one of the only TV shows that I have been able to rewatch like that. Um, so yeah, I know that you have it. You kind of have gone off of it, Abby. So like, what is your, what's your beef with Better Call Saul? <laughs> what's your fucking beef, dude? <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I wonder if my son like, um, has the Breaking Bad intro like ingrained in his skull because I, I rewatched the entirety of Breaking Bad while I was pregnant. I found it <laughs> highly entertaining. <laughs> I, I actually really liked it and I, and I appreciated it the second go around because it was all together so like it oh, you know it all made to sense. binge it yeah i binge the fuck it's out a good of it idea, yeah but better call Saul, i totally agree that it's like it's like more honed in and almost like intelligent in terms of like the character development but my i guess my problem is with season six which is the last season right this season's the last season they just they're coming back from their mid season break uh for the final five episodes starting okay. this Monday. Yeah, probably so, right before we'll be able to release this. Yeah. So I think the season finale, um, spoiler alert, when Lalo went on his big rampage, uh, or I guess the rampage against Lalo and then subsequently Yeah, if you haven't Lalo, seen season five or six, yeah. sp- t- tune out, spoiler fast forward. Spoiler alert, baby. Yeah. Fast forward about five minutes. Um, yeah. So that was like super on the edge of my seat, couldn't wait till, you know, season six premiere and all that. And then I just felt like there was kind of a lull. Like I'm waiting for Saul to become Saul. Like I'm waiting for him to become the crazy ass motherfucker that he was in Breaking Bad. And so far it seems like Kim is becoming the Walter White. Yes. Of season six and she's becoming cold, ruthless. There's like no love between them. She seems to be manipulating Saul. And I'm just like sitting back and waiting. I feel like I'm waiting for the big turnaround that's going to make Saul become like the scumbag fucking lawyer that he is. And I'm just waiting for that moment. And it, and it just seemed like almost like I was just so 
irritated with Kim. Really? I think that it's just the opposite of how you feel. But I just felt like, yeah, it was almost like too Walter Whitey. And I just don't understand this weird vendetta slash conspiracy she's trying to like. Against Howard. Yeah, it's just a little bit. It almost seems a little bit contrived. So I, I don't know. I Maybe I just need to give it another go. But. That's how far did you get in, into season I must be on six. season I must, I'm sorry I must be on episode four okay because if you had watched just a couple more episodes it's it really ramps up to the point where we can kind of see the trajectory now of like how he becomes or what like what happens but Kimmy Kim is still in charge it was sort of a weird bait and switch where you're thinking this is a show about Saul and watching him basically you're watching him the Walter whiteification of Right. Jimmy McGill, right? Right. But instead of that, what they did was they make it seem like he's still really out of his element. He's still scared as shit. He was weighing over his head, even getting involved with the cartel. He lied to Kim. She knew he lied about getting shot at. And all of a sudden, it seems like Kim is actually manipulating Jim, mm-hmm. Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And even down to the point where not just manipulating him, it almost seems like she creates him, which is an interesting thing to develop in the show considering that she's not in breaking bad so what does that mean is like are we seeing her basically almost shadow puppeting jimmy to become this evil character maybe like and it's also possible just because she isn't in breaking bad doesn't mean that she's dead really well think about it i mean why like what what can we assume about why she's not in breaking bad we know well i don't want to spoil anything for you but there are already certain characters we know are not in breaking bad like Right. Nacho. You already mm-hmm. saw the first mm-hmm. couple right. episodes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's clear. Um, but why is she not? And But the one thing that I think is interesting from that is just because we don't see her doesn't mean that she's right. not. Now, I don't know if you saw the Howard episode where kind of the theme of the episode was almost like just because we don't see these things happening doesn't mean that they weren't happening the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you see Howard's marriage and his personal life and interactions with his wife, and you're like, oh, my God, he has a whole other side to his life that we've never seen. And then also you see Gus has a duplicate house with actors pretending to play like suburban neighbors that literally he has a house connected by an underground tunnel yeah. fortress and I think that they're almost trying to put some seeds and hints to kind of telegraph to you. Kimmy is actually maybe running Saul in Breaking Bad somehow. That she is actually like in charge of this almost front of that Saul is the the meat in the room. Oh, but wow. she's actually maybe in charge. Wow. That's my, I mean, I, that's a theory I would really like to believe because I think it would be really brilliant if they somehow did that. It would be very hard to pull it off though, I think. So... The right. easier thing to do would be to kill her. Obviously, that'd be really hard to watch. But I mean, but it I th- would make sense of why he just becomes completely like void of any morality and shit. You know, in Breaking Bad, he just becomes a complete degenerate. You mean if she died? Scumbag. Yeah, like if she died because of something that he did. Um, that's what I just assume is going to happen. What I but assu- yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if there's some larger plot, uh, that would be very interesting, and I'm really excited to see how it pans out. Yeah, I mean, and also for the entire season six of Better Call Saul so far, they haven't showed us any of the Gene Takovic storyline, which is the alias that Saul uses after he goes into hiding. Now, all Mm -hmm. the previous seasons, they started us out with 
Gene Tackett. Like literally every episode of all the previous seasons start with the black and white. It's Gene. He's him after working at Cinnabon. Him working at Cinnabon. And here's what would be really nice and kind of almost like would probably be like warm my heart if they were able to do that because it was like Breaking Bad ended so tragically. Aside from El Camino, which shows Jesse having a peaceful ending. I don't know if you saw that. It's yeah, kind of like a nice version of the ending we saw in Breaking yeah. Bad. What if we get something similar here? Because it's like they've already showed people committing suicide. They've already showed people going out in a blaze of glory. They've already showed people escaping and being free and living their best lives that they could. But what have we not seen yet in the Breaking Bad timeline? I feel like we haven't seen someone like turning themselves in. Like what if Gene, what if that's Gene's ending? What if it's just like, He's too stressed. Like, he doesn't have a nice ending like Jesse. He's constantly stressed out, constantly paranoid. What if that's his breaking point where it's like he eventually is just like, I'm, I'll am i turn myself in? I mean... Well, we'll find out. And I think that that would be an interesting, different ending that they could do that we haven't seen before. And what if Kim and him somehow... What if Kim's still alive and they actually have him... They meet at the end in the Gene timeline. That would be like kind of like a wonderful weird like kind of like nice twists um even though it's obviously going to be bittersweet you know he's not gonna whatever's gonna happen this isn't gonna end well but maybe it will end better than a breaking bad is all i'm saying hopefully a little like nicer than that (laughs) well we'll see so far it's not hitting me the same but um i'm definitely i'm definitely gonna give it another go um let's jump into our bombastic timeline yeah, take it away. Let's I mean, jump we, into our shit, dude. Should we start with uh, with JP? JP. Um, <laughs> I did want to start with just this one story that really just reveals how fucked up. <laughs> just, just another thing about how fucked up our system is, especially the court system in this country. Is that you know, especially when like shows like Dope Sick talking about the Sackler family and their role in perpetuating the opioid crisis. And I think that this story just hits home for me, especially because I have lost at least three friends and one acquaintance from heroin slash fentanyl overdoses. Have you ever said on here that you had that you one of your best friends in high school? Is that something you want to say? I mean, you don't have to say her name, but... Yeah, I mean... um, Well, not high school, but... Yeah, I mean, one of my closest friends growing up for like five or six years, we were best friends. She died of an Oxycontin overdose, I think, or perhaps it was heroin. I'm not actually sure, but it definitely was an opioid overdose. And it's just bizarre to think that she is gone. And she died at such a young age. And this just happened to a, a cousin of a very good friend of mine, who I spent some time with when I was in Portland and we did a bunch of art together. Really sweet guy, very young, had his whole life ahead of him. And he just took a pill that he thought was an Oxycontin pill. And it was one of those fake pressed pills that was really a fentanyl pill that was a lethal dose. My God. I mean, this shit is so prevalent. and, And it's just like, I mean, it basically is like these people are getting murdered. And there's just no accountability and it's just senseless and random and it is just hard to wrap your mind around that this is happening every day to people that we know 
and there's just no accountability for it. And it's just their lives are just extinguished overnight because of this, because of these fucking fentanyl fake pills that are being circulated. And it's just unbelievable. So this court just ruled that none of these companies are responsible for record opioid addiction. Remember that one story? I think there was like a documentary about it that we talked about in West Virginia specifically that talked about how much these pills were being pumped out into this one, like it was like a small county in West Virginia. It was a really fucked up story and it really showed you like how this operation works with these like, you know, pharmacies that pop up and they just are like pill farms. And just this just shows you how insane this is. Check this out. In Cabell County, which is a county that only has 93,000 people living there, okay? That's actually a pretty small amount of people living in this county. So 10% of those 93,000 people are addicted to opioids, which is a lot, right? And here, but check this out. Check out how many, okay, so I just said 93,000 people live there. Check out how many doses of pain medication these three firms, these three opioid firms delivered in a span of eight years, 51 million doses, 51 million doses of pain meds for a county of 93,000 people. So like, I mean, what? And the fact that this court just ruled that these, these firms have no responsibility at all. And that it's mm-hmm. the responsibility of the doctors and basically the pharmacies and shit that were giving out these pain meds. It's like, okay, so there was no red flag that went up to be like, huh, there's a suspiciously high number of volume coming out of like this one county. They're just like pumping the shit. It's insane. I mean, it's fucking crazy. I think this was actually the hub of like where everyone was going to get them. It obviously wasn't distributed just in this one county, but it just shows you how um, just disgusting this operation is and these pharmaceutical companies just walk away scot-free i mean there's so many things that i think are fascinating about the fentanyl scare i mean one of the main things that i keep seeing and that i mean a lot of people have called that as bullshit are the viral videos and specifically there's one viral video that's of a san diego deputy fainting and going into like I don't know, respiratory shock or something from overdosing on fentanyl from merely touching it. Now, this is what a lot of cops claim, that merely from touching fentanyl, this happens to them. Um, My understanding is that this is not actually what's happening. They might actually be breathing some in. They might even be like taste testing it and accidentally overdosing themselves that way. Part of, I obviously find a lot of that hard to believe, but I mean, it is true that there is a shit ton of fentanyl coming into the country but it but yeah i think that the one of the primary problems is still it's not the illicit fentanyl that's coming in even though that is a serious problem also it said a lot of these opioid commercial opioid pill manufacturers are still just completely immune to any law enforcement whatsoever they lied about i mean this not the sackler family but the company i think it might have been purdue i can't remember the company that invented oxycontin mm-hmm. but they like lied for over 15 years, Abby, like specifically encouraged people to like take extremely high frequent doses of it with the promise that it wasn't addictive. Like that was part of the advertising. They didn't like put advertising on TV saying that, 
but they got doctors and pharma representative to spread that lie and it like people believed it yeah i'm sure a lot of the people who got it you know seeked out oxycontin were already addicts or you know supplementing their own addiction but a lot of people were people who had zero opioid experience zero history with addiction and went like headfirst into a deep deep rabbit hole of heavy drug addiction from being misled by the actual marketing of OxyContin. Well, and this I mean, happens to young people who just some, just get sports injuries or skateboard sure. injuries or whatever, teenagers who get on prescriptions like this not realizing how addicted they are, and then they're just cut off. And then that's when they turn to her- black market heroin and fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking crazy because, yeah, you're, you're right. These manufacturers are not like hand- doling out – a lot of them are not doling out the fentanyl themselves, but it like it leads to this, and it and it starts innocuously through just minor injuries where they are prescribed these medications that a lot of them do. It does, of course, help. You know, I mean, these pills are miraculous if you're in like severe debilitating pain, but the problem is that um, that there's it's just like a slippery slope. Oh yeah, I mean, it's there's and it's like. Things like ibogaine are still illegal. There's no, you know, all all we have for drug rehabilitation is just most of these expensive, you know, resorty kind of places or those detox treatment centers like Rush Limbaugh did a sedation treatment where they literally knock you out for like 72 hours and a medically induced coma to so you go through withdrawals in your sleep. Oh my god. Um, so it's like that's it's just sad and tragic that there aren't any other options. I mean. Things like ibogaine should be legal, and hopefully, even in Oakland with the decriminalization, there will be someone starting an ibogaine clinic. Because, you know, I don't know if the literature really holds up now, but there's a lot of evidence that suggests that it it's one of the most effective cures for opioid addiction. A single use, like experience of ibogaine, can like cure serious opioid addiction, and that's not a lie. I mean, I, I there might be some like over promotion of that, but I do think that that's most people would agree that that it somehow is almost like a miracle cure. Um, right. You know, yeah. but a- anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fucking crazy. No, it's really sad. I watched a couple episodes of Intervention and it just, I mean, this shit is just getting so insane. There was like a family of like five people uh, all hooked on fentanyl and all like injecting each other with like Narcan every other day because of how much they're ODing because it's just... It's just you're so fucking numb to everything and it's just this crazy horrific situation where it's like normalized because everyone's doing it. But yeah, it's it's um, it's definitely an epidemic, I would say, especially knowing several people who have died accidentally through Odine on this and that it's available. No one's talking about it. No one's talking about access to Narcan as a fail safe no one's talking about having people watch you test these pills it's just i mean the amount of people who have died is just really overwhelming i think it's like actually one of the top like maybe top three other than like car crashes yeah it's, and it's getting up i think there, it's yeah. actually like second with um you know our our age category yeah from and like we all teenager to to us yeah and i just want to make sure people uh, what they take away from this is not that fentanyl itself is the problem. It's that nobody's like, I mean, maybe there are drug addicts out there who start on fentanyl, but typically what happens is other opioids are cut with fentanyl. Heroin addicts seeking a fix um, 
can easy, more easily get like cut heroin or even fentanyl. And sometimes it's even cheaper. Um, so there's a there's an actual like pathway that move. I mean, we still don't even know. I think the jury's even out on what happened to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Did he simply, what, did he relapse and then you know not know his tolerance level and overdose on regular heroin? No, or was I thought it, heroin it was cut proven. I thought I don't, it was. I don't think it was ever oh, okay. proven, but I think that that still was still crazy. It's like you know. Would that normally happen to heroin addicts who relapse back before there was this much fentanyl? I don't know. Um, well, the problem is it's a hundred times stronger than opioids, and it also is cheaper. So, so yeah. I, that that explains why it's being cut into the supply. But it's super dangerous. You see it in cocaine now. So, um, it's really scary, guys. And you just gotta watch out out there, and just watch out for your friends and family. And yeah, and there's other people who have gotten off of pharmaceutical opioids via Kratom, but then that's also addictive. But I would say probably, generally speaking, it's probably a lot safer than it, probably any real opioid out there. I would I would say with not any expertise knowledge on that subject, but um, you know you can overdose on even just opium poppies if you drink you know too much opium poppy tea. Um, you mm-hmm. can, it has it, it's it's not that hard to overdose. I think I think it's very rare if anyone has been reported to have actually died on Kratom. Um, but it is addictive and it is very commercialized. I and mean, all these podcasts are sponsored by Kratom companies. Oh, now. wow. It's Super surreal. interesting. Wow. Yeah. yeah, Kratom is definitely a good intermediary if you are trying to take a step off of opioids. But yeah, I mean, it it, it, it is definitely addictive and I feel like you have to take a lot, you know, Um yeah, I mean it's like a ground up leaf. So Yeah, it's like it's it's pretty intense. Let's talk really quickly about how the United States actually just concluded their own takeaway from the Israeli killing of Shireen Abu Akleh in a bizarre admission, Robbie. Um the US concludes that Israeli forces did indeed kill the American journalist Shireen Abu Akleh, but Robbie, it's okay because, quote, it was the result of tragic circumstances during an IDF-led military operation, which followed a series of terrorist attacks in Israel. A tragic situation, dude. That's tragic so situation that only happened, Robbie, because of the sheer confusion in the aftermath of all of this terrorism perpetrated by Palestinians. It's amazing because if like, even a single Russian soldier killed any civilian in Ukraine, imagine being, imagine that the headline, the tragic situation where a young Russian soldier who was scared, you know, started firing into a crowd <laughs> or something like, oh my God. I mean, but Abby, I mean, Anthony Blinken, he put his money where his mouth is, right? He, he was right. You didn't, you weren't patient enough and he, they did conduct their own investigation and conclude that she was indeed shot by the IDF. So take that. Take that, dude. He did yeah. it. He, he done did it, did it dude, yeah. and he, he showed um, you just like just like he told me he would, you know. Mm-hmm. And we got to give him credit for that. But it's just so funny that it's basically just total justification for murder, just um, you know, just total fucking mental gymnastics to be like, oh, okay. But even though like the like the quote unquote terrorist attacks, which are really just um, vigilantism, like political like retaliation for just being under the fucking you know, oppressive thumb of Israel and the constant home demolitions, the constant settler terrorism, the constant suppression, rounding up, jailing dissidents um, with no trial or charges. It's like, this is, this is daily life, baby. Like, 
you know, I'm sick of hearing fucking that Israel's the greatest democracy in the Middle East. First of all, they don't like, especially in the wake of Roe v. Wade, people are like, I'm going to move to Israel because like women have more rights there. It's like, well, first of all, gay marriage isn't legal. Um, abortion certainly is not like on demand. You can't have interracial marriages between Palestinians and and Israelis. And it's a fucking apartheid state. So fuck you, you know, and like it's just so disgusting that this is still uh, it's just still promoted as such. And then just this latest, you know, this latest justification for just a, a deliberate assassination of another journalist. Um, it's just sick. We know what happened. We know that Israeli forces knew who she was, just like they knew who Razan al-Najjar was, and they fucking put her in the sniper scope and they pulled the goddamn trigger at her head. We know that's what Amazing. happened. So, um, you it's, know, it's just incredible to hear them admitting it, but then just, it, okay, just another day. Let's just, you know, just paper over it. Yeah, and you, you know, it's funny, as mild as that is, you know that it still pissed the fuck off uh, some of the Israeli leadership to the point where they're like incensed over the U.S. even saying anything. I mean, yeah, because they wanted to actually say it was just Palestinians. They kept saying yeah. it over and over and over again. I mean, this is once again another example of like who would normally be considered the establishment kind of drawing a la line in the sand to some extent. And even though it's very mild pushback, it's still like this, I think, denotes a direction that things will continue to go in that's positive. Mm -hmm. um, as little as it is within the U.S. side, I think this is a really big deal. I mean, this would have, I don't think this would have ever happened five years ago. Imagining, or six years ago, um, CNN, AP, major right. news organizations coming out and saying our investigation has shown it was the IDF. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is, I think that's new. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And I think Israel is on borrowed time. I, I think that it's just a matter of time before that's, going to get louder and um and then which makes it even weirder to think who's going to be on israel's side here in the u.s people like ron DeSantis, <laughs> you know like screaming the loudest to try to defend them when that when that gets worse um it's quite it's quite odd uh but yeah no i mean it, it is totally a great point because when you have established human rights organizations that are you know liberal oriented very mainstream human rights organizations like human rights watch um, like Amnesty International and even Bet Salem, which is an Israeli human rights organization, when you have those organizations coming out and declaratively stating that Israel is an apartheid state akin to South African apartheid, the conversation then becomes what can we do about apartheid to end apartheid? Yeah. It's not just endlessly debating whether or not it is apartheid, whether, you know, it, it, it's not on is on the defense anymore being like, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, we're yeah. not anti-Semites for saying this. It's like, no, this is an established fact now. And now the conversation has shifted and now Israel's on the defense. So that alone, I think, is a huge symbolic step forward that we can build upon. Um, however, there was just a court ruling, Robbie, that really set back the BDS movement in this country. I don't know if you heard about that. Obviously, my court case against the state of Georgia about their discriminatory anti-BDS law that mandates anyone who works in the state as a public contractor, as a state contractor, rather, to sign an Israeli loyalty oath. Um, my ruling from the federal district court judge, Mark Cohen, was the latest in a line of several rulings 
dictating that the law was unconstitutional on its face, because it is, right? It's unconstitutional to say that you do not have the right to boycott and you do not have the right to just practice free speech, to simply work, right, in a state. Um, So I was extremely alarmed, Robbie, to see that Arkansas on June 22nd, an Arkansas law that was challenged previously. And actually, um, we all just thought that it was going to rule the same way because every single state where this has been challenged has ruled correctly because these judges know, you know, what the Constitution means. Um, This fucking Arkansas judge actually ruled that it was constitutional, their anti-BDS law, which means it is going to the Supreme Court which means the Supreme Court's going to fucking enshrine this into law, Robbie, because these people are psychotic. There's been a complete legislative coup in this country, and all the rulings that have happened just over the last several weeks really show you a clear line in the sand of where this country's headed, and it's headed to somewhere really dark. And it, it means that we actually can't do anything because this is the final say, this is the highest court in the land, and this is a really bad sign for BDS moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe on some level I had my head in the clouds and thought that because things were sort of inching forward in a progressive direction in a lot of ways in this country, that that would be the general trajectory of society. You know, more acceptance towards uh, gays, um, towards transsexuals. All that stuff just to me seemed like, okay, this is, you know, we're getting more evolved as a society, but it really does seem like there's a whiplash, like, an equal and opposite reaction that is like knock is really trying as hard as it can to knock everything back and also generate all this hysteria in order to do so as well. So it really does seem to me like this is a possibility now. Maybe if you asked me six months ago, uh, if BDS could be enshrined with the Supreme court, uh, ruling, or sorry, if yeah, anti, like I would have said, no, absolutely not. That's of course they would rule in favor of, the first amendment you know that's like that's one thing that they wouldn't but no at this point i'm like no any anything's possible right I mean, because it, this was what was enshrined back during the montgomery bus boycotts that's why boycotts are constitutionally protected right during the civil rights movement and all the gains that were made and so that's what's so scary is like the needle is moving back so rapidly um that yeah i absolutely think this is a possibility i would have agreed with you 6 months ago based on the rulings that were happening but now that it is officially being brought to the supreme court and what the supreme court is doing at this moment is um not it, it it's not giving me any hope whatsoever in fact i'm extremely worried and alarmed that now this could be just a nationwide uh ban <laughs> on on pro palestine speech I mean, it kind of almost makes sense be- that it would have to go that far because, like I'm saying, Israel is on borrowed time, and there is such a sophisticated lobbying effort and influencing campaign on behalf of the Israeli government here that I, I think that that's definitely a possibility now, which is crazy. I mean, just the fact that somehow Israel is channeling some kind of lobbying effort into someone like Ron DeSantis, I hate to mention him again, and making him you know, such an important plank, it's like... There's something that Israel wants to play into this realignment as well. And I don't know, you know, I think that mostly just has to do with inserting pro-Zionist views into populism. But, you know, if that's the current things are going in, if like the MAGA mindset still rules, I mean, that's, I don't think that's going to seem that weird to those people. It's like a runaway train because 
of the subsidization of Israel and the apartheid state from U.S. tax dollars and arms. And even though the lobby doesn't dictate what the U.S. politicians do, it certainly is a runaway train in the sense that they have inordinate power and influence over our legislatures, not because Israel controls the U.S., but because we've facilitated that power by emboldening Israel to the extent uh, because it is such an important asset to the empire. So it's fascinating how it's such a give and take relationship. But at this point, it's almost like usurped um, fundamental rights, <laughs> like, and it could just be a blanket law. I, it's fascinating to see that this this could happen, and it could happen soon. I'm yeah i I don't even know what to say about it other than people who even give an inch over to these right populists need to wake up to the fact that there is something very suspicious about the fact that you know like. It really does seem to be all aligned on some level with the Israeli Likudnik point of view. Um, these people are not going to, uh, and it's like the fact that they're all talking about the Chinese Uyghurs, mm -hmm. and it should also be a weird hint, I think, because it's like all of a sudden, why are we, you know, why is this taking away the focus? It almost does seem like there's been a lot of energy poured into taking focus away from the Palestinian plight and making it seem like well, there's actually really real genocide taking place on Muslims here in China. Um, and that's all I'll say on that. But anyways. Well, let's get into let's get into the fun stuff, Robbie. Oh, yeah. Jordan Peterson, yep. um, the guru, the sage, the philosopher to millions of disaffected young men. And I will say that it actually extends far beyond just that. I have close friends that do love Jordan Peterson that take a lot away from his books. I oh, have wow. We're going to have to talk after this. Yeah, I have girlfriends no that actually way, like him. Holy shit. I, so I don't know what is up with these fucking, this book of rules, like his God commandments that he fucking sells. Um, mm -hmm. But what's fascinating to me is just seeing his trajectory over the last, I don't know, like when he came on the scene protesting Canada's gender pronoun law or whatever like that said that you can't it wasn't even dead naming people it was just like you have to use people's proper pronouns i guess at universities and so he protested that ferociously he became some fucking hero in this anti-woke um, burgeoning culture in the u.s and and what's fascinating is like he has become i don't know if it's the benzo um like like comatose situation that he was in the all meat diet I don't know what happened, Robbie, but like a, a switch did flip where he is a unhinged lunatic now. You could just see the trajectory in these videos. Like he started off like much more sane. I mean, yes, there's insane shit that he said back then, like wearing that crazy bowler hat and saying like men shouldn't throw or snowballs or whatever. <laughs> but like you should, I mean, the shit that he is saying now while becoming like hysterical um, talking about these things, like highly emotional, highly vitriolic, like straight up anti-gay um, hatred, the hatred visibly coming through. It is nuts, dude. Have you been following this shit? I have been following it a little bit. And I will say for myself, I mean, he was even before the Benzos incident, I do remember him crying <laughs> that was one of the common things he would do and crying sometimes at very strange times. Um, he even got Jordan or he even got Joe Rogan to cry with him. 
on an episode of About his what? own podcast. I don't remember. I don't remember. Huh. I honestly don't. Because that's what I mean by crying at odd times. Usually... You know, when someone cries and you're watching them talk, you can remember what they're talking about because it sort of resonates with you on some level. Like if they're crying about an animal that they lost or, you know, someone they lost or something tragic. But I don't remember because it's just so odd what makes him cry, which reminds me of being manic. Um, mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen people in manic states. I've been, you know, as a part of my life where I had a manic incident and it reminds me of that state of mind and it does make me nervous when i see people even kanye made me nervous where it seemed like he was manic for way too long of a period of time to be uh healthy like that that it's something is like i feel like people like that maybe need help uh mentally and i don't say that in a disparaging way so like it just makes me nervous honestly when i watch we used to watch Jordan peterson like this is it's just weird to someone could cry this easily, you know, randomly. Um, <laughs> like they're just so disassociated in their own thoughts while they're talking to someone that they just anything could just trip them off into this emotional storm. I mean, it's it's odd uh, and it's unsettling. And that's not even what you're going to talk about. But well, let's talk about the latest controversy where he claims that he was permanently banned from Twitter. Although if you go to his profile, <laughs> it exists. So unlike my friend, Peter Joseph, the guy who created the Zeitgeist trilogy, he actually got permanently banned. Not that I agree with what he said about Joe Rogan, but I guess he criticized Joe Rogan. And immediately... Um, what did he say? He, he, he called him Slow Rogan. It wasn't even like... I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I, I love Joe. Um, Wait, but that, he got banned for that? Yes, what? Yeah, dude, so, it's so crazy. Come he, on, dude! I fucking swear to God, he, he showed didn't even me the say the R word. No. Oh my God, that's yeah, that's ridiculous. No, I know, I know. Yeah, and and so Jordan Peterson, maybe he just got like a week suspension or a suspend. Oh, you know what it was? No, they just said to delete the tweet. Uh, yeah, contingent. Just like I've gotten several of those over the years from people, mostly reporting me out of spite if we get in like an yeah. argument and they'll just report something I said that was sweary or offensive right. and I'll have to delete it. And I guess if I wanted to be principled and be like, fuck this Twitter citizen, this person is reporting me because they lost an argument or they got butt hurt. I'm not going to fucking do that. And then I guess I could blow my account too, just out of that principle. Out of spite. But the thing yeah. is, Jordan Peterson is not banned. You can go to his Twitter account. It does not say this person's been suspended or anything. And he has actually put his like... He actually like made it about his life. He was like, I'd rather die than delete this tweet. So let me explain the context. Yeah, um, go, yeah this, this, this is an important tweet, obviously. So Elliot Page, um, who I want to say is like in his mid 30s or something like full blown <laughs> fucking adult, you know, like I'll look it up. Grown ass man can do whatever the fuck he wants to his body. Thirty five. Thirty five year old man. Right. Grown ass man. Obviously knows who he is, is very secure and comfortable in his body, transitioned, um, previously was a female actress who transitioned into being a male, right? Um, and uh, these motherfucking people like Jordan Peterson that have basically staked their entire careers on being anti-trans and creating this hysteria around how trans people are indoctrinating our kids to basically become trans and how it's an epidemic have basically um, done this big PR stunt where they 
caused the dead name of Elliot Page to trend, which is like abuse, right? It, I mean, that that's an abusive thing to do. Can I just go please, back really quick? Because I, I didn't even realize why this all started. Because yeah, at first please. I'm just thinking, is Jordan Peterson and all these idiots just getting together and being like, let's fucking blow up Elliot Page's spot right. to martyr ourselves for some free speech stunt? I mean, on one hand, I guess they could do something that dumb. But honestly, from what it seems like, it was triggered by Elliot Page posting a picture of himself topless wearing swimming trunks after top surgery mm -hmm. and saying trans BBs first swim trunks, trans joy, trans is beautiful. I mean, now it's all make it's all making sense in my mind why they had such a shit fit. I bet you they all passed around this picture right. privately or he maybe even started venting about it on Twitter and were like, oh, my God, this is, you know, they fucking freaked out. Because this is kind of a, almost like a historical moment. I, I mean, to me, that's like a bigger deal than Caitlyn Jenner. Oh, of course. For a previously biologically female celebrity to transition like this and then post like a picture of himself with top surgery. That's like sort of a historical thing in a way. Um, and they're seizing on that and completely. And I so it's almost like I didn't even realize that that had so that that happened on in May. Um, so it actually happened a couple months ago. So this is how long I guess it's been simmering. <laughs> for them um i mean and it seems like this was like they made they poured all of their energy into talking about like i mean what what was the initial thing you saw jordan peterson say because i saw a video of him basically comparing any doctor who performs top surgery to a nazi doctor right no so he basically said so i think the first post and i don't have it up in front of me because of course it doesn't exist right now but i i'm pretty sure he said the dead name as well as like how disgusting his top surgery was and also that the doctor who performed it was a criminal. Like it should be illegal or basically alleging that it is illegal. First, he th that was apparently what he thought originally was that it was illegal and that somehow these doctors were almost like <laughs> like code hanger style abortion, like maverick <laughs> renegade doctors breaking the law because they were so woke. And then once he realized it was legal, his whole logical framework change to this like really crazy and i don't even know where this rant was from it was like filmed on like a nice looking little backdrop it was like a professionally filmed little spot where he's like well now that we know that it's um it's legal uh to do these surgeries it was also legal for the nazis to perform the experiments they performed so in a way you could say that they're just following orders <laughs> like the nazis before us so even though it's legal, does that make it right? No, it doesn't. Like, he, like, let's literally, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating his intonation. Like, he went from sounding like a calm Kermit the Frog, you're right about this, Abby, to like a fucking, like, spit, foaming from the mouth, like, fucking weirdo. I mean, he's, he, he's weird sounding now. Um, so I don't know what's up. Even his Vice interview where he complained about lipstick and seemed all awkward. He seemed like way more normal back then compared to this new version of him. That's what I'm saying, dude. That's what I'm saying. And so he he must have realized really quickly <laughs> that top surgery is not illegal. And so he basically said he basically just started talking about how adults consent just consensual, like doing shit to their body. And I wonder if he thinks the same thing about breast implants or any sort of modifications to your body is the same Tattoos. as like akin to Nazi yeah. experiments. So he said. 
Um, yeah, basically that this that gender affirming surgery is a Nazi medical experiment, just a crime against humanity, Robbie. And here's the most bizarre admission of all. Ready? He said that he had post-coital regrets about the remarks about the top surgery. Post-coital means post-ejaculation. Um, wait, wait, I don't understand. Was he, was he implying that this was like so intense for him, this this rodeo, that it was like a, that he got fucked? Or that either he that or it was off. like no, that's what I'm saying. Is either like a sexual, um, it was like a total Freudian slip. I I mean, this is a guy who goes from sounding like a boilerplate generic American social conservative to actually going into some Jungian Freudian territory and revealing that he had dreams about his grandma waving her pussy hair on his face like a paint with like that morphed into a paintbrush in his dream after he watches grandma masturbating on a riverbank so any, i guess anything's <laughs> possible with this motherfucker and i'm not making any of that up that is to- totally real let's go ahead and listen to some of the video that he made probably on the same backdrop that you saw it's a really good looking like all black multi-angled um uh, <laughs> film that he made of himself discussing this robbie um it's the Second YouTube video down and open it at the 340 time code. Remember when pride was a sin? Although that is merely a factual statement because under the old rules... Isn't this going to contradict his, the argument I think he's going to be trying to make? Sin ...and had been recognized as perhaps the cardinal sin for thousands of years previously. It still might be regarded as unacceptable... <laughs> to the woke authoritarian <laughs> moralists who now dude. insist, for example, that we celebrate Pride Month, not hour or day or week, but month, and who have literally called it Pride Month instead of LGBT plus month or whatever else alphabet acronym which is currently insisted upon as the only acceptable enlightened terminology. Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's stop there. So, so basically, first, wait, so yeah. he's... I, I, it's all it's about going the Bible all over now. the place. I mean, because yeah. at first he's making it seem like it was a sin a thousand for the last thousand years to be gay. So basically saying it. it I mean, I'm assuming he doesn't think it should be a sin anymore to be gay. But then he's like just immediately complaining about how they're just the wokeists are so authoritarian that they're demanding an entire month long pride celebration. Now, like, what? Is, it's just like going. He's pinballing. I don't even. I can't even follow. What is just going to go? I mean, it's just so crazy because he just turns it into how pride is the cardinal sin that's that's existed for thousands of years and turning it into like being just who you are, right? And having a month to just celebrate like, you know, like I guess the post-repression, post-prohibition of being just queer yeah, it's, um, is just like a sin, basically. That's what he's saying. Yeah. It, I mean, it almost sounds like he's – I mean – that's one way to read it. Another way to read it is almost kind of similar to the Nazi thing he was saying earlier that it's like, this was a sin, you know, for a thousand years. And now it's like the thing, it's like he is on some level saying it's a sin, but it's almost like he's, he, I don't know what, I, I, I mean, maybe I just need to hear more of this to just okay, understand so what the fuck, because this is 14 minutes long <laughs> of yeah, yeah, venting was, about getting banned off Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So go to 1130. Okay. Okay, I mean, it, it, I'm it curious weirder. to watch the entire thing, but I know we don't know. have time to now, but 11.30. Yeah, no, it's, okay. it's very long. And finally, with regard to the final phrase, criminal physician, I must say that I've had some post-coital, so to speak, 
regrets about that phrase. <laughs> he says it again. <laughs> he says it again. The butchers who butchered Elliot slash Ellen was legal. So, was it criminal or not? Were the operations undertaken by the fascist positions who carried out the Nazi medical experiments? This is a little calmer than I made it sound, but it's still yes. quite fucking weird. Under the laws of the time. But were they criminal? Yeah, I mean, you could stop it there. I mean, it, it's just, fucking, it just, what a the fact that he rant. brings up post-coital again is very strange. It's like, that was intentional. That wasn't just like a weird, I mean, he know he's intentionally using that phrase. Does he know what that means? I, I, yeah, of course he knows what it means. And it almost just, to me, seems like this is maybe he gets off on engaging in this kind of, um, yeah, just making this uh, a big a mountain out of a molehill just to as uh, some kind of political stunt for his own career. I mean, I mean, you got to think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I always talk about all these things being an op, but just on a selfish personal level, he's a he's trying to lift himself up to trying to get attention. These people mm -hmm. thrive on controversy. They know that they'll be trending on Twitter if they do a stupid thing like this. And I maybe he even on some level, maybe it was a Freudian slip in the sense that it's like this is that he gets off on just this whole process. Like this is his, I mean, he's got the spotlight on him right now. You know, it's right. like negative attention. And obviously he could just delete that tweet and then complain about it on Twitter and then say, Oh, I can't say that. Cause they'll ban me again. I mean, he could do that if he wanted to be a jerk off in a different way, but instead he's capturing all this attention and acting like he's being, you know, shut down or whatever. Okay. So let's go to 1415. <sighs> okay. 1415. Okay, I'm there. Ready? Okay, ready. Three, two, one, go. Doors will <laughs> We'll see who cancels who. Twitter's a rat hole in the final analysis, and I have probably contributed to that while trying to use, understand, and master that horrible, toxic platform. No doubt I owe some apologies for that and I'm trying to learn, but it's a relief wow. in some real sense to be banned. And I regard it under the present conditions as a badge of honor. Oh and my then of course, God. Wait. And then of course it ends saying, now on Daily Wire. So basically here's the bombshell is that all of this was just a huge publicity stunt that he cajoled all of his fellow crazy right-wingers, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, all these people to weigh in on how offensive it is to not be able to dead name a trans person at post-transition. And it all's funneling back to now he is one of the main pundits on Daily Wire, Robbie Ben Shapiro's news site. And didn't Ben Shapiro actually not he wasn't willing to go as far as that and actually get himself put in the suspension limbo, right? It was only Dave Rubin who followed yeah. in his footsteps. So Dave Rubin's doing this in solidarity, but obviously for this publicity. But Ben Shapiro's more savvy than that. He's like, no, dude, I'm going to keep my Twitter account. Well, yeah, and Dave, <laughs> Dave Rubin also, this is how fucking dumb this dude is. He, yeah, he couldn't, he wasn't even clever enough to like do anything that uh, made sense. So just immediately after his tweet was, uh, flagged, he just immediately deleted it. Even though he was like, I'm never going to delete this, just like Jordan Peterson, then he just immediately deleted it. After um, Roe was overturned, Dave, Sh <laughs> Dave Shapiro, Dave Rubin, like, joked publicly that one of his staffers left, like, a Clarence Thomas, like, headshot on his desk to make a joke like, gay marriage is coming next. And it was just like, dude, this is, like, actually really strange. <laughs> 
much. Like you're just the most, you're just like some bizarre tokenistic right wing gay guy. Yeah. Who's just used like all these people fucking hate you. And you try, you try over and over and over again to just beg them being like, no, no, no. Like I'm one of the good ones. Don't you see? Wouldn't you want me to go to dinner with you? Remember that interview with Ben Shapiro? And he was just like, no. Yeah. Like your, your lifestyle is a sin. And he was actually thinking, it almost seemed like he was just expecting Ben Shapiro to go along with this weird idealistic version of, he thought that there's this tolerant conservatism, but he's like, yeah, no, Ben Shapiro just answered straight up. And then. That, remember that Candace Owens interview with Dave Rubin where it might have actually been the only one of the only times I watched her kind of get one over someone where he she was like, why are you even calling yourself a liberal anymore? Like, why don't you just say she's like, come on. She's like, you're not <laughs> like, why don't you just say you're conservative? Like, I don't I don't understand why you're playing this game. Like she actually like like was just like called him out and he didn't really know what to say. But he kept he kept pretending like he was, and it, it just it's weird. You're right, like that he's basically fostered a little army of probably employees that now work for him, who actually wholeheartedly believe all this stuff. And maybe on some level, he actually is still buying into this bullshit that he does think he is some kind of version of a liberal still who's standing. I mean, I just can't not imagine him being that dumb. But maybe he really is. Like maybe that is how right. dumb he actually is. Um, to believe in what he's saying. I mean, on some level, I'd even respect him more if he was just, it was a purely cynical ploy, um, like Tucker Carlson or something. But I think he's actually dumb, like truly. Yeah, no, it, no, absolutely. I mean, the Marianne Williamson slavery clip is, is just says it all, I think. Um, let's watch <laughs> this incredible clip of Jordan Peterson completely unraveling. So Andy No, you know, the trolley dude, the milk, um, concrete milkshake fake news guy. I mean, he really epitomizes fake fucking news. Like everything's Antifa. Every act of violence that's perpetrated by like whatever mass shooter is next on the docket, this motherfucker's out there immediately alleging it's like Antifa or insinuating that it's someone on the left. Yeah. Very dishonest, disingenuous. So he invites Jordan Peterson on just to trash Antifa a little bit. You know, this is from relatively recently. It was only like a month and a half ago. So Andy No brings on Jordan Peterson. No brainer. Let's trash Antifa together. It gets really fucking wonky, though. When you don't recognize some of these, it seem, they seem animalistic is what I mean. Um, in, no, they're the worse August, than animals. They're worse than animals because animals, they just kill to eat, you know, <laughs> human beings, they have a twist in them that makes them far worse than animals when they really get going. Well, I think it's, I think you really want to know what I think. I think it's revenge yes. against God for the crime of being. Whoa. <laughs> That's really what I think. What? It's Cain and Cain and Abel. It's like, oh, Abel's your, Abel's your guy, eh, God? How about if I take him out in the field and beat him to death? <laughs> How do you feel about that? All my Dude, what is what is he wearing? Unrewarded. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's what it is at the bottom of the hell of things. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wow. So there you have it. I mean, it just immediately degenerates into him. It immediately, just turns into him just crying about Cain and Abel. It's pretty amazing. I mean, again, it's this unsettling feeling that it's like if you can cry at the drop of a hat like that while talking about Cain and Abel, I mean, I don't want to be around. I mean, what else? 
<laughs> are they going to do that's just completely scary? Uh, I don't, it's unsettling. Um, well, it's also funny because Andy knows just like, yeah, he's like, you really want to know what I think? And Andy knows like, oh, yeah. yeah. He's just kind of like, oh, where is this going to go? And, <laughs> and he's just like, it's worse than that. He's like, animals kill to eat. He's like, Antifa, like basically, it's like, first of all, this is all hypothetical because Antifa doesn't, hasn't killed anyone, but go on. It's fascinating. <laughs> go on smartly. <laughs> I mean, it really is fascinating how how much that became a thing. I mean, the Antifa super soldier thing, it really they really bought into it. I mean, I guess, you know, we're going to talk about Scott Adams, but I did actually hear back. Um, I don't know if we already mentioned this actually on, on air on the podcast um, that I did have a friend from a while back who uh, we kind of got into it over Jordan Peterson. I was talking some trash about him on Facebook on, about Jordan Peterson on Facebook years ago. My friend chimed in and was, was defending him and said that, you know, these are the reasons why his stuff was uh, valuable um, well, I, I checked in with that friend. I think you had asked me, Abby, like, what does he mm-hmm. think now? Um, like right before we started recording, well, he happened to message me back while we we're recording and I could paraphrase some of what he said. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, what did he say? So, hold on. So I basically asked him, I said, I was wondering if your opinions on Jordan Peterson have changed <laughs> since we last talked about him or if they mostly stayed the same. Um, and he said he, he listened to a lot of his lectures. He really enjoyed them. Uh, he had also just gotten really into Joseph Campbell at the time as well. And what attracted him, I think initially to Jordan Peterson was his analysis of mythology and storytelling that he thought was fascinating, that it had a Joseph Campbell, I think, quality to it, which I could see, you know, if you're not coming at this politically, maybe I could, I could maybe kind of understand that. Um, and then he's saying that he's rethinking now how valuable his opinions had seemed to him back then. And I guess he said that he's been done with him for a while uh, because he's gone off the deep end. Oh, um, my God. That the a- Elliot Page thing is just confirmation that he's a piece of shit. So, oh, wow. Uh, I think that he's he still looks back on some of the things that Jordan Peterson introduced him to like some things about psychology, Mm -hmm. um, some like Bible breakdowns, I guess that were just more about the mythology aspect, kind of Joseph Campbell-esque that he, that he's like still, that it got him interested in other things like since then. Right. Um, But not like political or right wing things, mostly just mythology. Yeah. 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 And I guess he's gone fully into, he believes that now everything he says is worthless. He doesn't trust what he says anymore. And then he believes you just fully gone down a right wing rabbit hole. Um, and then. Wow. I think he, this is, he thinks the point of the big pivot point for him was after his surgery incident. I think he means his yeah. Benzo's thing um, that he just started to get much more openly extremist. Right. Um, I right. Think, it's like he almost had like a near death experience or something and then he just felt like just going full mask off maybe. Yeah, I think he I think he um my friend did, you know, admit that he did initially see him as like a very moderate conservative, yeah. but like that wasn't what attracted it wasn't like his political views or social views that he watched. I guess he was mostly attracted to other stuff. Um but yeah, well, I think I, I appreciate that. I mean, that that's a good sign actually. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that maybe there were some liberals who probably maybe pre-Trump or even at the beginning of Trump were attracted to people like Sam Harris or Jordan Peterson even. 
Um, you know, because there's like there was like a pathway there. It's like Sam Harris was like the one that was almost seemed like the biggest magnet for a while for like libs who wanted to still hate Muslims, you know, like to still carry over some of that neocon. But then it started to expand and expand. Then we got like Brett Weinstein and Peterson and these people. But I think that it um, it kind of makes sense a little bit, actually. And, and I and I, I mean, I could see uh, not thinking he was an extremist before. And thinking he is now, but I mean, I guess for people like you and me, we're we're so sensitive to, you know, the, a lot of that stuff that we like. We, you know, we it was like a red flag to us from like day one. I think. Yeah, I mean, the second I saw him saying women wearing lipstick, um, you know, that whole rant about women uh-huh. women wearing makeup, I was just like, oh no, like this is yeah, this is gonna go nowhere good. Um, let's. Did you want to wrap it up, or did you? Can we play just one more clip of him, really quick? Yeah, but I mean, we're gonna talk about Adams too, right? Of course. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. Let's no, play. absolutely. We have to play one more clip of Jordan of Peterson. Perhaps the most um, unhinged one of all. Can't wait to hear it. Which one is okay, it? Okay, so it's the first one, the first clip, and we're just going to play it right from zero, 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 baby. Is he cried already? Yeah. This is like cut from one of uh, okay. his live streams or something. Okay, ready? A close reading of 20th century history indicates, as nothing else can, the horrors that accompany loss of faith in the idea of the individual. It is only the individual, after all, who suffers. The group does not suffer. I, I'm I honestly this is just like spooky. I'm just like <laughs> I'm chilled. I have chills right now from like not feeling he's still comfortable. Like, he's still like blinking through tears right now. I he's just can't imagine what it'd be to be like in a relationship with someone like this. Must be regarded as primary. How do you if suffering is to be regarded seriously? Wow. Without such regard, there can be no motivation to reduce suffering and therefore no respite. I can't even... Instead, the production of individual suffering can and has... <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> this is a real test. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, stop. But what's funny about Holy his shit, whole philosophy oh is that he, he's like so moved by like the opposite thing that you should be moved by, like hyper individualism and like reinforcement of the status quo to like justify hierarchical <laughs> oppression. <laughs> it's so bizarre. He's like so hypersensitive about the notion that the individual is like not cherished <laughs> enough. <laughs> Dog, this is like the most dogmatic base of all of our fucking capitalism, well, bro. You know like, you won, asshole. Well, Abby, I mean, it's obvious that this whole thing is nested in like an anti-communism yes. frame to some degree. I mean, it, that's one of the things that to me was like, maybe to someone like my friend who wasn't as like invested in politics as we are, those like anti-communist, like red flag dog whistles were not as loud, but it's like they were always there in his stuff. I mean, the cultural Marxism framing. Yeah. Can't, I mean, he was pushing that at the very beginning of when I heard right. of him. And like, that's a dead giveaway that it's like, I mean, you if you want to talk about the overly woke dogmatic stuff, there's a way to talk about that. But calling it cultural Marxism out of the gates is like, this is sus. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it just, it's sus rhetoric. It's like, it's, it's going somewhere else. And this, yeah, this hyper individualism, um, manic 
episode, Crying Jag, he's having, it just sounds like he's basically, the unspoken thing here is that communism is going to take away everybody's individuality and make us all, you know, into these mindless drones uh, or something. Like, that seems to be that that apocalyptic thing that all these people imagine. Um, Which is like, but but his big debate with Slavo Žižek, when the only good thing that Slavo Žižek said, he was just like, who are the Marxists? Who are the cultural Marxists that you speak of in such a fantastical boogeyman fashion? Like, name one with power. And he could not. I mean, that's the thing. It's like when you really think about it, yeah, that that's a really, I mean, I'm not a fan of him, Slava Zizek necessarily, but that's a really good question because the only answer that some of those people would be able to provide is like, well, you know, the mainstream media is, uh, mm. McDonald's is, um, uh, Disney is, because that's what they, that's what they're being told. Like they're literally being it's being put into their heads that the biggest entities in the country are the ones pushing like cultural marxism and wokeness and woke sexual values as tulsi gabbard calls them even though doesn't cultural marxism have to hinge on actual marxism oh no meaning economic like um solidarity like class oppression no how could these giant corporations be culturally marxist because the the i guess the whole way they're using marxist is like some kind of hierarchy within some kind of marxist system in the sense that like if you are a if you are seen as oppressed then you have more power or something um, oh, it's like the high, like Glenn Greenwald's, like the hierarchy of oppression that trans people are at the top. He, it's pretty much the same thing. And speaking of him, he just did a sit-down interview with Tucker in Brazil, where he says yeah, that Bolsonaro super good, dude. He says Bolsonaro is is um, suffering from cancellation. And I was really impressed with the fact that he sat down at his mansion it looked like he lived like right underneath that giant statue of Jesus like in San Paulo it was like uh, the most good looking view I've ever seen in my life it looked like he like oversees the whole ocean there beautiful good shit dude yeah I mean and someone else who's just gone completely wacky um but you you said he's gone more wacky I mean to me it almost seems like he's been there for a while maybe even longer than Peterson but the creator of Dilbert Wait, 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 oh, wait. Oh, sure, you're not done with... I just want I just want to <laughs> say one one last thing. I rarely, like, laugh out loud in a literal fashion, but I lost my shit, Robbie. And you didn't actually respond to this when I shared this with you before. The Peterson tweet, randomly, this was like a week ago, he was just like, has anyone noticed you can't buy anything anymore? No cars, no trucks, no cardboard, no paper, no wood... <laughs> no small boats in parentheses sea dews no snowmobiles <laughs> what the fuck i know these latter are luxury items but that's not the point and fun is important too a one year waiting list okay cardboard and paper and wood dude go to the dumpster there's free cardboard abound <laughs> it's like what are you fucking talking about first of all where does he live in canada maybe there's just a sh- <laughs> maybe that he's just in a bad area in canada i don't find a shortage of many of the things he's talking about um i mean i it's an odd thing to say i mean is there any truth to what he's saying is there really that long of a waiting list for cardboard and paper but, but snowmobiles the the later the things he ends with <laughs> can you can you not buy a snowmobile right now see do he's like yeah. he's like oh 
Dude, I was just rolling, dude. And and what's funny, as much as he talks about pride being a cardinal sin and calls everyone a narcissist and shit, it's like, dude, he sells busts of his own fucking head on his website. Like he is Karl Marx. I mean, that that's honestly what he thinks about himself. Like he he honestly thinks of himself as like the greatest intellectual of our century. I mean, who, wh- how else could you even like rationalize the fact that you're selling busts of your head to your fan base? It's unreal. He's just very performative. I mean, in a way, he kind of almost reminds me of like an intellectual acting Alex Jones. His whole shtick mm-hmm. to me is very made for video. Seems like he's on TV. Um, there's a, just a phoniness to the his presentations. And I mean, if he really wanted to be this intellectual... Why isn't he writing? I mean, he's he claims to be so literary. He should be writing, um, you know, things on on like, you know, his thoughts on in longer pieces, or maybe even doing like a radio thing or a podcast. But that's not what he's doing. Instead, he's doing all these things to attract attention, and right. he's just making, <clears throat> you know, he's dying on these hills that just don't make sense. It's like, I mean, I don't know, man. It's I'm just well, sick of in... hearing about him. Yeah, I know. He's such I know. a fucking. It's... I just love that. I mean, I love your friend um, changing. I love your friend's change of heart. And I just I just love this totally over the top flip that Jordan Peterson has just gone full mask off, completely unhinged lunatic ranting and raving about how he how much he hates gay people now, because thank God, like we knew the whole time, but a lot of people didn't. And I just hope that it's so transparent now that we can just move on and stop putting him on a pedestal because he's trash. And the same thing with um the prolific creator of Dilbert Robbie yeah because as we know there are a lot of people who put him on a pedestal <laughs> he is revered in our culture <laughs> among conservatives and somehow liberals. he still publishes Dilbert like Dilbert's still published well yeah I mean I guess that should be a testament to the fact that dude you've said some really abhorrent crazy things on Twitter if you would have been canceled, your fucking comic would have been like taken out of the newspapers by now, and it's not. So be thankful for that. Like, you could go pretty far in your fucking, you know, ideology online. I mean, he literally was saying before the election that if Biden wins, they will be hunting Republicans, like implying that Antifa or liberals would be like going around to like hunt him in Pleasanton. You know, I mean, these were things he was putting on, on Twitter, and it seemed like he genuinely believed them. So. He's a he's fucking crazy. And I guess he does he's no longer a sugar daddy. He seemed to have a very young quote unquote girlfriend for a while. I don't know what his deal is now, but you've said that he's recently been saying some really um dark things on Twitter about his own family members who have passed away. Yeah, so Scott Adams did have this extremely young model-looking girlfriend and he would just use her to just be like, what, you jealous? Like, it's like, no, dude, I don't believe you guys are having sex. Like, uh, like, no, I don't think anyone's jealous of you because, like, this isn't real. Or he's paid for it. I mean, either. Yeah, or, or yeah, of course. It's like a total, like, for hire situation. This woman's obviously its accessibility to PR and or just money. He has been increasingly unhinged, Robbie, particularly on Twitter. Um, recently, he was trending. And out of morbid curiosity, I I popped up his name just to see what crazy shit he was saying. And lo and behold, um, in the wake of the Highland Massacre, which I hope that we have time to go over today, 
he said something really interesting. He said, the Highland shooting and every fentanyl overdose death among the youth are teaching us the same lesson, and we refuse to learn it. It's difficult, but I'm qualified to give you this lesson, unfortunately. This won't be an easy read. When a young male, let's say 14 to 19, is a danger to himself and others, society gives the supporting family two options. Watch people die or kill your own son. Those are your only options. I chose number one, and I watched my stepson die. I was relieved he took no one else with him. If you think there's a third choice, which the government services or fixes that a young broken man, you are living in a delusion. There are no other options. You have to murder him. You have to murder your own son. Okay, stop for a second. Yeah. You said he did delete one of the tweets that he originally had there, and he actually went into some graphic photographic detail about the color of his son dead. Um, so uh, just talk about that. Yeah, no, I, I distinctly remember seeing that he said that his like bloated, like a blue f- bloated face of his stepson being dragged out on a stretcher. Now, mind you, I learned later that he was only married to this woman for a couple of years. It wasn't really like a person that he grew up with. And it's just such a cold and bizarre thing to say. How does his ex-wife feel about him saying this about her fucking son? That he would rather... He would have murdered him. And like this kid wasn't a threat to others. He just died of a fentanyl overdose. Like, why would you have to murder him, dude? I mean, it just, it, it is so, so bizarre. And again, where is this actually coming from? Like, did this get sparked by an, an Elliot Page style incident where Elliot Page posts a, a cute Instagram picture? Is it something like that? Where is it like, is the, the shooter this recent shooter um, have some connection to being a drug addict? Like, where is this even coming from? Like, why is Scott Adams saying this all of a sudden? Like, is there some well, precipitatory event that I'm well, unaware of? Well, interestingly enough, Robbie, you actually brought to my attention the video that was posted right below these tweets in the thread. Not by oh, Scott Adams, yeah, but yeah, by yeah. someone else from a Republican yeah. saying the same thing. But she wasn't saying it about... Um, drug use she was saying it but she was basically saying I will kill my own grandkids right if you love them you will kill them and it was because it was legislation that was saying uh, we could take away certain kinds of guns from people who have been reported like by their spouses as being like domestic abusers and that and that was too far for her for her grandchildren to live that she would kill them if this legislation passed I mean yeah, why, is there a talking point going out saying, let's float this trial balloon about killing your own <laughs> children right now. See if this shit sticks because we've gone so far fucking off the rails. It doesn't even matter anymore. Let's just say the craziest shit. I mean, I have no idea. We're Yeah, but it, I mean, it seems like a pattern, but is it like, is it a coincidence that um, Scott Adams is talking about how you have an op, you know, one of the options to kill your own kids if they're drug addicts? And then this woman saying it, I have no idea. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I don't, I don't think that he's an original thinker in the slightest. So I do tend to think that he did see something similar to this crazy batshit ass woman mm-hmm. on the house floor saying this. Um, so he probably just did his own iteration of it. It's just so bizarre and cold hearted. It's damn dude. It's strange. I mean, it's it doesn't even fit into a typical conservative framework of even like a cold-hearted typical conservative (laughs) statement it's a strange thing to say um and i don't understand why he's saying it 
uh, for what reason he needs to broadcast those thoughts. Uh, it just seems like he needs to seem, seems like he shouldn't be on Twitter. I mean, I don't even like what point is he even trying to make? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe just attention seeking also, you know, just trying to provoke and we bought into the bait. Is, is I mean, is, is somewhere in there this strong conviction that he has that drug addiction is a, like an incurable disease and once yes. someone's, you just fuck them and throw them in the trash can? Like yes. any, no matter, I mean, if it's your son, your wife, like, I mean, anybody, it sounds like. Yes, no, that's what he's saying. He's like, programs, rehabilitation does not work, so you just have to murder them. It's so fucking weird. Oh, I mean, I, I wonder if something just personally terrible just happened in his life. Like, I don't even know. Well, clearly not his stepson overdosing because that pers- that seemed to be good for him. I mean, like I was saying, maybe his sugar baby started smoking weed and he didn't got mad or something. Like he didn't like started it. Started popping, popping yeah. pills. Or something. Like did maybe it was just even something as innocuous as like someone that he knows smoking weed and he just like went and he just got like so angry. He just had to just show his vitriol on Twitter. I have no idea what's going on in his head, but this is the man who painted himself in his own mural, restaurant mural that was painted over multiple times, this ghostly, surreal, a creepy mural on a restaurant wall that every time you go in there, you, you just continually do like a Where's Waldo search around it to see like what else was painted over? What happened here on this mural? Is that the owner of the restaurant painted there? That's so creepy. What's happening? Um so that's Scott Adams, and that's that's Scott Adams for you. <laughs> and sadly, another one of these characters who started off—it's very sus that Russell Brand actually had Charlie Arkey and Matt Stoller as writers and producers on his show, like ten, potentially like fifteen years ago. Yeah. So that's super interesting that that's where those motherfuckers started out. That is Russell Brand. Um, you know, an eccentric former, act, you know, I don't even know if he acts anymore, but he was like an actor. He's like, posits as like this philosopher, like going around doing this tour about like religion and philosophy and spirituality and all this shit. And, and it's just so interesting, this trajectory that he's on promoting Tucker Carlson, saying Tucker Carlson's the only place where you're going to see like people like Jimmy Dore on now and anti-establishmentism, anti-war views. I mean, I remember he originally initially was saying some pretty he there was a, like a very short window of time where he was saying some pretty edgy things and like in public sometimes like making people look foolish and like almost like being trollish in some pretty, you know, arguably clever ways. Like he I think he was at the um I want to say it was the Gucci, some Gucci event or something where he was a speaker. It was whatever fashion company like oh, yeah, made the, the Nazi, Nazi outfits. Yeah, and that he was like, good. he like trashed, you know, he was basically like, they made, you know, he mentioned that like in the speech, people, he never got invited back. He was, it was like a very, people hated him for it. The people who are in charge. Um, so I, you know, I, I maybe had some like idea that he was more, a little more enlightened. I even remember he talked about some 9-11 truth stuff that seemed like he was kind of on that tip for a second. Um, but yeah, it's been strange to watch him. And I even still gave him a little bit of slack thinking, well, yeah, he's being smeared, you know, six months ago, he was being smeared as a right winger just because of some of his anti-vax views. I didn't really go along with it back then. And then now it's like it could just become more and more obvious that it's not even just, you know, the people that he promotes or the, you know, the, like like Tucker Carlson, a lot of people do that. It's that he actually made a video recently where I, I watched the whole thing just because I couldn't believe it. Somebody was like, dude, did you watch this Russell Brand video review about Top Gun? 
and I was like, no. And they're and I was like, why? And they're like, dude, you should watch it because it's really fucking weird. Like, I don't know if you've been watching Russell Brand, but just check this video out. So I watched it, and it literally starts with him like wearing a cowboy hat, talking about how like good old fashioned American fun is back. Um, that this like great movie from his childhood. You know, I guess I can't really judge someone's politics if they have some nostalgia for the original Top Gun, whatever. But then he just goes on and on about how it's like, this is such a relief to have a movie that does so well in this country that's not woke, that's actually anti-woke because of so much wokeism that's being thrown in our face through entertainment. That This is just, you know, a huge sort of like, um, it's a symbol against that, that it's like doing so well financially. Um, and how Tom Cruise is just like such a badass and, you know, look at him back in the saddle um, promoting American militarism, something that's very taboo uh, that we're not supposed to promote anymore. But then all of a sudden a movie comes out where, where all of a sudden we have fun with it and, and we're here sitting here enjoying it and not worrying about all that stuff anymore. And, 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 then, and then the main character, Tom Cruise's character, has a Taiwanese flag on his, uh, um, embroidered on his back of his jacket. And, and you know, because of uh, all the control China has now and, and uh, you know, and how, how uh, like, and he's just going on about how... How refreshing. Yeah, and it was like, is this, is, I, I couldn't, it was unreal, honestly, listening to it. So I know I'm not one of these people who's just super sensitive to, you know, all the little minor shifts in whatever currents are happening where people are getting more and more right wing. But it's like, if I don't watch Russell Brand videos for six months and I see that, I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I mean, this is, it's just weird. I, I don't even know. I don't know how you get <laughs> from that point to the other, but. I was going on this long rant in the solo podcast I did last month about how someone uh, that I know very well, their their partner kind of ended up um, getting completely sucked into the Freedom Convoy thing. And they they were like pretty liberal lefty person uh, up until that Freedom Convoy thing happened. And it just goes to show that it, I don't know. It's just like a magnet. You know, the right has this this weird magic over people still. Um or just shucks you in, and I don't. The left doesn't seem to really have that right now. I don't know why, but <laughs> well, it's still the knee-jerk tendency to oppose wokeism and liberalism, and the right wing is just the easiest uh, trap. You know, and they yeah. know how to manipulate you to pull you into the other side. And just like I was saying before, I mean, it's a Bannon-esque tried and true strategy since. The beginning. I mean, this, these cycles continue. They just become more sophisticated, and because of just how horrific um, the liberal establishment has abandoned the working class while adopting and tokenizing all the rhetoric of progressivism, it is it's revolting. People who start off well intentioned who do start by caring about these issues and they get completely turned off by the Hillary Clinton nights. And there's only so much punching left that can happen before you honestly start to get pulled over to the right. Because just like the the energy with COVID, where was the momentum calling for uh, wages, for health care, all of that? The only energy was pulled into um, bodily autonomy with the vaccine and anti-lockdown stuff. And it became folded into a left-wing talking point. And whether or not you believe in that or not, it was just fascinating that that did not incorporate those core elements of, like, working-class values. It all just deflects back to the right wing. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people who 
don't really have core ideologies get sucked into that really easily. And we're seeing that happen more and more. And like you said, certain things are magnets and it can just catch like a fire really quickly. The Freedom Convoy is one. And it's the one- Trump shit was another. COVID was another. And then trans stuff coming back. Yep. You know, um, s- different issues surrounding that coming back. And then people like Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi, you would think that they should be, you know, if they do want to be critics of wokeism, that's all fine and good. But you would think that they would not also be simultaneously like feeding into all this other right wing crap. But then they are. And then you're just like, why? Like, it just it just seems like everything is sort of broken. And it's hard to. Yeah, it's it's hard to have even solidarity with any of those people in any form anymore. I mean. So I don't, I don't know what to do, man. I mean, especially now that I don't know if you want to get into Roe versus Wade, but. Yeah. I mean, I think just no heroes, honestly. It's like, yeah, I used to respect a lot of these people. I don't anymore. And that's okay. I think that it's just, you just have to follow what you know is right. And I think a lot of people just reveal themselves either as hucksters, frauds, or just easily manipulated. I mean, at the end of the day, and I I don't really even care to differentiate. No. And I, and I think those things are. And I think probably the worst of it is people who I feel like have revealed themselves as bigots. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, you know, some people where it's like, you have to have a lot of tolerance, I think, to bigotry and just stupid right wing horseshit to be promoting rebel news. I mean, I, I, that to me is just like, what is going on? I mean, there, there is a certain level or like promoting memes that make LGBT people look like, you know, idiots or like a Ben Garrison cartoon. Um, if you're doing that on a show that's supposedly left wing, I do think that's kind of reveals you to be a bigot. There's a mask off quality to what's happening. And I don't I just don't know this the self-awareness seems very low or it's just okay now to, you know, just double down and so hard on criticizing identity politics to the point where you actually are a bigot is strange. but it but I, I mean, it kind of does reveal that people who obsess over how idpol is ruining all of leftism. Some of those people are, I think, at heart bigots, even though I think it, a lot of the id poll stuff has, you know, toxified or changed, you know, some of the dynamics in leftism that are superficial and not necessarily actually helping lift up um, people who it should be. Uh, so it's it's a whole clusterfuck, man. Yeah. And we're not in a state of. of- reality right now where like the oppression is gone like in fact it's being rolled back in a very quick way and the reactionary wing of this ascendant right-wing minority is actually taking a lot of power there's been a legislative coup that could potentially roll back gay marriage more reproductive rights so what what it signals to me Robbie is not only a bigotry that's lying beneath the surface and a privilege. Let's not forget a sense of privilege where these issues are not going to affect you, but you simply do not give a fuck about abortion, about gay rights, about trans issues, and or you are repelled by them. You just straight up are anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti-trans. So I guess, yeah, that is that is what being a bigot is. By allowing this mentality to fester in left circles really just reveals the nature of these circles, which is you just simply either agree with them or you don't care enough. Yeah. And what does that say when who, who is going to be affected by the abortion bans? Working class, marginalized communities. Rich people are going to be able to travel to states with abortion access. So don't fucking tell me 
that this is about class solidarity and reduced to just class consciousness. This is about the most marginalized, oppressed people in the country that are going to be most affected by this shit. And that's what pisses me off the most. You don't care about poor people. Well, the whole thing, I mean, it's just such a manipulative thing. I mean, we can, obviously this podcast is not going to be unpacking the different aspects of the debate on abortion itself. But yeah, it's like there's this notion or this false perception that the conservatives try to create that it's like the coastal elites, liberals, who want to keep abortion alive. And there's even some implication that like they're the ones who want to, you know, kill black people because black people get the most abortions and it'll be this like whole rabbit hole of, um, you know, that sort of narrative. Uh, and it's just, it's, I don't even know where I'm going with that, but, but yeah, the, the conservatives have put out this false projection that it's like, it's some kind of eugenicist plan by like the coastal liberal elites. Um, and that it is nested. They even have like a racist spin on it. Um, but it's it like you said it's that's not actually the case most people who do seek abortions are people who are from low income areas i mean that's it, so it's like doesn't it's just weird how that's again just a very false thing that's been layered over this um and you know that's probably partly why the polling probably reflects that such an overwhelming majority of people in this country do want abortion to be accessible and legal yeah, I mean, there's so much to go over here. And I guess let's just start with what actually happened, because the scope and scale of this is dramatic and it's all encompassing. And what worries me the most um, is the fact that, no, this isn't just a couple states that have these trigger laws in effect. No, it's not just a couple crazy extremist states that have banned abortion. This this is emboldening and empowering the right wing so much that have had a 50-year march to do just this, that if someone like a DeSantis wins, who is very on board with this, there could be a federal ban coming. And in fact, that is what I do think the plan is. Now, this has been a 50-year constitutionally protected right under a Nixon administration and a right-wing Supreme Court, which reflects the zeitgeist of the culture. Wow. It was the height of the militancy of the feminist movement, the LGBTQ uh, emerging, you know, this, this militant radical movement. Black Panthers, the anti-Vietnam War protesters, there was a lot happening that it wasn't well-intentioned justices doing the right thing. It was them fearing any other outcome out of fear of reprisal and out of fear of being seen as illegitimate because we know there's nothing the establishment hates more than being seen as illegitimate. And that's why January 6th really irked them, not because they were going to hold anyone accountable, because the peaceful transition of power was threatened. And that's what it just matters, this pretense of how we're bipartisan, we work together, even though we know that there are millions of people in this country who are virulently racist, anti-woman, and who actually want to kill us at any given moment. So I don't know how we can reach across the aisle to people like that, but that is exactly what Democrats have done and continue to do while they punch left and blame leftists. 
On the last podcast, we talked about how for 50 years, this has been a well-organized plan, very intentionally so, from organizations like the Federalist Society that have been seeding all of these local courts that ascend, obviously, um, to the Supreme Court. This is a huge, obvious plan um, from these bigots. And the Democrats, instead of organizing against it, they have been using it as fundraising tools and basically as um, a hostage situation where for as long as I can remember since I was 18 years old, really invested in politics, I always thought, oh, well, I have to, we have to vote every single election because the right of a woman and our right to choose is hanging in the balance constantly because it's all about the Supreme Court. It doesn't matter who you elect as president. It all comes down to this court that as a political science major, I thought was supposed to be equally representative, like a a third check and balance somehow that all of these bodies were supposed to hold each other in check. That's not the way this fucking works at all. This is a a coup, unelected lords with lifetime appointments. This anti-abortion activist, Amy Coney Barrett, is going to be in the court system until I fucking die. Like, this is insane that this is happening in a so-called democracy. I mean, it's kind of everyone's worst nightmare come true. I mean, it's it's still surreal for me even to wake up. I was actually watching the news a little bit. I, I have been tuning out in terms of watching TV news or even listening to news on the radio recently. And I started to tune in a little bit after it was actually overturned, like when it was officially overturned. And it was really surreal and weird just even just hearing audio of reporters saying, um, now that Roe versus Wade has been overturned, just hearing that phrase was like jarring and strange. And it's still... It just still feels like a very strained reality. And I don't really think that people are reacting to it in a way that seems like they're freaked out enough. Um, And I feel like I'm even a little bit desensitized. You know, maybe this is what QAnon and everything, it's not hugely surprising in a way. It's like, it kind of makes sense that it would shift this so hard to the right so unexpectedly in such a major pivotal way like this. But I don't know, man, it's... um, I just keep saying no, you're it's so right. weird. It's a, but I mean, no, you're you're so right. There is some sort of like surreal nature to this, where it's like diffused already. It's like mm-hmm. first we had the precursor to the overthrow, and then six weeks went by with like no action, and then it just fucking happened overnight. And then at the same time, Robbie Clarence Thomas has this draft where he's just like, "Oh no, like we're not stopping there." Like, we want to ban fucking gay marriage contraception, and we're going to, like, trigger all these sodomy laws that still exist in several, I would say, like, a dozen or more states across the country. Like, we're going to first nullify your marriage, and then we're going to put you in prison. Like, th- this is the, where they're going with it. Judge Alito um, is a psychopath. Thomas, Barrett, they're all batshit crazy. And they they want to roll us back to the Dark Ages, and they actually who knows how far this could go because they they're talking about everything relying on a 300 year old document. So I don't know how many amendments they're talking about, how many civil rights wins they're willing to repeal here. But like, this is going to get really ugly. And I don't think people realize it because I've been lectured by men for the last several weeks for simply posting how devastated I am and participating in protests by saying, whores mad, hoes mad. Um, you're just, you're just fucking pissed because you can't have irresponsible sex. Like, Oh, just fucking wear a condom. Uh, just take birth control. It's like, first of all, dude, do you wear a condom every time you have sex 
Or does the onus lie on the woman to either take birth control, which a lot of people can't fucking take because it fucks you up, okay? Or, and are you willing to wear a condom every single fucking time you have sex, right? Yeah, or get a vasectomy. Yeah, it's just it's just like mind-numbing. And then they're like, oh, what do you fucking care? You live in California. It's like, because I am I have empathy, dude, and I fucking care about if someone's oppressed anywhere, then I feel like the oppression is everywhere because I'm an empathetic person who gives a shit that people who are poor can't have this fundamental right of bodily autonomy, that they're going to be forced to give birth? You motherfucker, I've given birth. Can you imagine forcing someone to go through that shit? No. These people are sick. I'm sorry. I'm so mad. I'm so mad talking about it because I've been like, I've seen the response. I've seen the response. And I've seen the response by people like Tucker Carlson being like, this is good because this goes back to the states like it should have all along. That's what people say when they're a minority voice and they want to usurp the uh, democratic values of a country who wildly disagree with with the mandate now. And, and when you go down to states' rights, what you're going to see is half the states banning this and the inaccessibility and inability for women to have bodily autonomy, control over their own bodies, something growing inside of them that they have to be forced to carry to term. And, and a lot of these states don't allow rape and incest, by the way. A lot of them have removed that caveat. And the life to the mother thing is also very sus and very open to interpretation, Right. And religious groups are already actively lobbying to narrow and narrow that. But here's my other thing. The main like all of the cases of abortion that happen after three months, you're telling me that a fucking woman waits more than three months and just teeters on the edge of the idea of like, oh, am I do I want this baby or not? No, that's not how it works. 99.9% of all of these extremely marginal cases are women finding out that their baby has horrific deformities and they don't want to bring that baby to term because they don't want to put the baby through a life of hell. And that's okay. That's their right. Who would? And a lot of people find out that their babies through amniocentesis or other genetic testing have horrible deformities that these conservatives and these bigots will say, no, that's life. That's murder. If you take away this child. So they are forcing these women to make an incomprehensible decision to bring a deformed baby to term and raise that baby for the rest of their lives who can never have autonomy, who can never live a life. And that's sick. That's sick that that's what they want to do. All these women at three months or past, they're thinking they're going to have that baby. They picked out names. They maybe have a crib set up. Maybe they have a nursery set up and they find the horrible news through genetic testing that their baby is not what they thought it was. And they have to make that horrible gut-wrenching decision, Robbie, after that point. And that's that's what pisses me off so much. It's all these weird hypotheticals flying around that they that these people want to cartoonishly make this fake notion that women are just randomly choosing like, oh, you know what? I decided against having my baby and I'm going to just fucking abort it at six months. No one is doing that. Yeah, the, I mean, it's just they create a caricature. They create, um, you know, a false narrative in order to get people all riled up in a certain direction. And it doesn't matter what the actual truth shows or what, you know, the stats show, they'll just always believe in those kinds of things. Um, And yeah, I mean, there is seems to be 
one of the interesting things to me about this is I was waiting to see what Trump himself would say because I noticed Don Jr. got on Twitter and he was like, aha, take that, you fucking, like, liberals. He was, like, having, he seemed like he was loving it or acting like he was. And, you know, I, I guess it seemed like for some people it was more they were relishing the win, you know, over the liberals rather than expressing their desire to see, you know, young unborn children um, protected or whatever the their you know, other old school conservative reasoning is. But Trump himself didn't say anything publicly at first. And I don't know if you noticed this or were following this, but it was like, you know, these were his Supreme Court nominees who basically made this possible. And yet he's not really taking a victory lap over that. What's up? You would think he would. It would be within his typical behavior to do that. Well, apparently behind the scenes, he was mad that it got overturned. And, you know, first you're thinking he was mad. Wait, he actually is kind of secretly still a liberal? No. He was, the reason he was mad, Abby, is because he believed and still believes, apparently, even after being like, you know, a month later or whatever, that this is going to be really bad for conservatives voting, like people voting for conservatives in the long term. <laughs> it be really bad for the Republican Party. And it makes them look bad. Because I guess, you know, to him, on some level, he's right that it really didn't behoove the Republican Party to really double down on like the social conservatism stuff as much. I think Trump is kind of savvy in that way, but, you know, still... I thought that that was fascinating. And one of the only public statements he made about it, Abby, was like almost like the polar opposite, but still very ambiguous. He said, um, he said like something like this is God's decision or something when he was asked publicly, like this is like, uh, like God decided this. So it was like very disingenuous. He's not religious at all, but it's like, he's not saying it. He's not even making a statement on if it, if he agrees with it or not. <laughs> he's just saying like <laughs> God decided to just like throw some bone to like the evangelicals, but like not have to actually say anything else. Really funny, almost like a, again, very Trumpian thing to do. Um, so he's still got it, I guess. But I thought I did see a press release where he was just like, this is a huge win for like, I, think, I don't even know. I think maybe he did eventually. You're right. He, mm -hmm. I think he probably did try to put out some boilerplate, thing but that was the news coming out because he did he actually didn't he, he i probably am missing his official statement about it later but before that people were like why isn't he taking a victory lap like it he didn't say anything for a while um so anyways uh yeah i mean and and how bafflingly dumb has the democrats response been in fact republican insiders are just like stunned at the lack of response First of all, Biden didn't give a press conference for like several, I feel like like several weeks. The first person from his administration to say anything was Kamala Harris. And the shit that she said was almost like, I mean, I know that you've said like before, like an Andy Kaufman skit. I mean, it really is like, <laughs> I keep saying cartoonish. It is unbelievable, Robbie. I mean, first of all, Dana Bash asks her like, okay, millions of people voted for you guys, like voted Democrat. How could this happen under a Democratic establishment administration? Are you guys going to act now? And she was just like, do what? Do what now? And, and Dana Bash was like, well, you first of all, you could turn federal land into accessibility centers for women's health care. So, for example, VA clinics could immediately provide access to abortion services for women. And she was just like, we're not looking into that. 
We're not looking into that. And and basically, there's several other things that you could do. I mean, you could immediately overturn the Hyde Amendment, this absurd anti-abortion amendment that Democrats have conceded to for the last 40 years, it seems, that every single budget bill that's passed, they, they have to sign on to an amendment saying no federal funding will ever be spent on reproductive services. They could immediately um, overturn that and start actually federally providing abortion pills, having free mailing services like the COVID tests, some sort of federal database to override these state bans. Okay. They could also fund um, service centers and call centers and also put a federal fund to help women travel to states with abortion access. So all of the shit, she was just dumbfounded. The fact that they had six weeks to make a plan, had no contingency set up at all, completely baffled and dumbfounded, wasn't even like prepped by any aides, any legal analysts, any DOJ talking points, nothing. She acted like she was just blindsided by the news real time. That's how Kamala was acting. She acted like Dana Bash told her Roe v. Wade just got overturned. And something else insane that she said, she was just like, she was, she starts off the interview and she's just like, how did you feel when you heard the news? And she was just like, well, I'm the daughter of a woman. And I'm the granddaughter of a woman. It's like, yeah, how far back do you want to go? I'm the gr- I'm the granddaughter. I'm the great granddaughter of a woman. I'm the great 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 granddaughter of a woman. I'm I'm not saying this because she's black at all, but I literally just watched a Jesse Smollett interview <laughs> that was conducted like a, it must have been fairly recently where he is like still doubling down on pretending like that was a Wait, real incident. What? I mean, I maybe it's not from that recently, but like he was on like the Sway Serious XM program. And it was like after Chappelle made jokes about him and he was like, yeah, we saw each other after that and we're cool. And But he, yeah, he was acting, he was still acting as if people b- somehow buy into the fact that he didn't do any, like didn't do that. I was, it was surreal. Anyways, it reminds me of that because it's like this level of entitlement on some level, I'm sure, even if it's not a fully cynical maneuver or stance that the Democrats know that this is like their ace in the hole. They don't. I mean, yeah, I'm sure some of them are probably alarmed on some personal level that this is happening. But on another level, this is like going to be fuel for their base. It's going to be like Trump was for them in terms of them not having to do anything. They could just sit back and be like, what? Like, oh, you want us to do something? Oh, you want them? You want the MAGA QAnon people? Okay, fine. Like it really does have that. I mean, that almost is what her attitude is. Yeah, and she and also continues. follows up and she's just like, there's an election yeah, it can, in 13 months. It's like, there's always an election, though. Yeah, and it's like, these are the people who are supposed to, you know, I, and on some superficial level, speak for the outrage, you know, of their base or whatever. It's like, it's almost like they're looking at anybody now who has anything to say to get them to, like, move in even, like, a centimeter as being, like, these annoying Bernie bro-like people that need to just fuck off, like... It, I mean, that really is their their attitude has gotten that bad. They don't well, have to do anything. There are still liberals who will still send them money. I mean, they started sending out fundraising texts. I heard people saying like literally within like minutes of the overturning. Like yeah, they, they had all like that planned out. They made like $30 million within like the first 24 hours. Well, yeah, or something. but my point is they had like lit- they probably had the texts already right. written out and the, right. and the letters already written out. But then. Their whole fucking apparatus doesn't actually have like a stance against like the actual ruling itself. Like that's what's so weird. It's like Kamala Harris should have had some talking points by then, right? You would think. Instead, she well, just like fucking gets abortion. mad. 
They can't even say the word abortion. That's what's, dude, it's so, it's, it is, it's not, it's beyond unsettling. It's like, this is it. This should be the moment for everybody. You know, and I'll and I'll say for all the people who used to bash Jimmy Dore just for the fact that they thought he was going at Democrats too hard, just for that alone, it's like those people are now saying things that sounded like Jimmy Dore like several years ago and acting like you know. And it's like, dude, you guys were really propping this up a lot and defending it and whitewashing it, and now you've woken up. Like now you're realizing how much they are fucking letting everybody down, and now you're saying don't send the money, which is. Yeah, you should have been saying that the whole time. Um, so it is, it's weird, but it's also like, it is It is a really surreal wake-up call even for me. I mean, I'm not saying I had any faith in the Democrats, but I just thought that this, I just never foresaw this happening like this. I mean, I, I think it's human nature to have some sort of glimmer of like optimism that it won't get as bad as you know it inevitably will based on where it's going and I guess you know that's how I felt too I was just like there's no way like if it does happen which I think we all knew some you know when Amy Coney Barrett got elected I was just like okay like and she was steamrolled through and Nancy Pelosi said she was going to use every arrow in her quiver and then just fucking gave up and they didn't do a goddamn thing and this crazy handmaiden lady just gets in there and it's like oh okay like Roe v. Wade's gonna get overturned and all these think pieces are like no like you guys are hysterical nothing's gonna happen they promised us it was set in stone Kavanaugh said he would da 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 fast forward to the leak and people are like oh my god like this isn't really gonna happen right like and if it is the Democrats are gonna like do something right and then it just does and nothing happens (laughs) they can't even say anything I mean it's almost it's funny if it wasn't real, I mean, it, it does feel like they have completely given up in terms of having to show anything for themselves. The $15 minimum wage and all this stuff is just like, what? Well, we don't have to do any of that shit anymore. We just ride off of in the same way we rode off of Trump's energy and bounce off of that. We'll just bounce off of the fact that we're in a dire situation. Donate to us to change it. But but it's so crazy. It's like they they even if you vote for them, which I think there's going to be a blowout against them because of how horrifically abysmal Biden's administration has been and how he hasn't done anything at all. They're going to be lucky if they get a a slim majority to keep Congress. And so the filibuster is still going to be in place. They're not going to have a supermajority. Of course they're not. There's only supermajorities like every 30 years. And so this huge pie in the sky notion that that's the only way they can do anything to protect a right that has been enshrined for 50 years is astonishingly dishonest and very cynical. And how dare someone like Obama, the day that it happened, he's offering these stupid ass empty platitudes about how devastated it is. Not like you were president, not like you campaigned on codifying Roe on day one, not like the second you got in, you were like, you know what? It's too divisive. I'm just going to be a bipartisan leader. Um, yeah. And and honestly, Robbie, what the Democrats have done and what Biden has done or the lack of what Biden has done is it never ceases to amaze me, even though I have zero faith and zero support of these people. It's still like they still surpass my expectations or I guess they still go lower than the bottom of what I thought was possible. The fact that um, Biden, Biden actually is doing a deal with Mitch McConnell right now to appoint a lifetime anti-abortion judge in Kentucky as some deal with Mitch McConnell. The, the fact that Nancy Pelosi comes out 
um, doesn't do the Kenty Cloth Neal, doesn't do Lin, Lin Manuel Miranda, but does something almost better. Where she, you saw this, where she read a poem the day that that Roe gets overturned. She reads a poem from an Israeli soldier. An Israeli soldier wrote a poem standing it, on the dude. ashes of an ethnically cleansed Palestinian Come village in the height of the Lebanese invasion. Doesn't that bring a tear to your eye? That's Meanwhile, Democrats are outside singing God Bless America on the steps of Congress. I mean, I, I'm just touched reading all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's mind-blowing. And again, they put up uh, I mean, you probably saw this. They put up the security perimeter again, mm-hmm. that militarized metal extra security perimeter that they never had until like after January 6th um, or that I had never seen before. They put that back up. I don't know if that's still up now, but I don't really think there's any danger of any serious protests coming for the Supreme Court anytime soon. Um, sadly, I, I it does seem like it's the rage has been sort of diffused. Like you said, I I don't. I don't know what it's going to take, and it probably will be co-opted by, you know, some kind of wing of the Democratic Party in a way that will just, you know, diffuse it even further and make less people want to be engaged. That's my fear. Um, kind of like the pussy hat marches, you know, it'll be it could take that form and there will be that'll just turn off even more leftists. It, it's just sort of weird. where all the all these crossroads are happening now where it's like it's like now this is not even something that's. It is like the transgender anti-gay rhetoric that's flying around is not really concerned to a lot of leftists. And it just seems like at a certain point. You're not a leftist if you don't give a shit about this. I'm sorry. This is yeah, a I mean, core it, fundamental right of women. Like, at a certain point, people. yeah. I mean, you can be an anti-sex worker leftist, I guess, and still call yourself a leftist if you want. I mean, but it's like something like this. It, it's just weird that it's like, well, you know, we got to have working class solidarity. So we got to like throw out, you know. This idea of like being like pro-abortion, it's like, dude, what is happening? I mean, and like working-class women who can't afford to have children are now going to be forced to bring babies to term. Yeah. I, wrap your mind around that while still claiming to be pro-working class. Um, and I just wanted to say a couple more things before we wrap this episode up. Biden is one of the most anti-abortion Democrats in Congress. He is the reason. He's been on the record for decades, and he actually helped facilitate the overturning of Roe in several states. He's very proud of that. He's the reason why Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme Court. Of course, his um, denunciation of Anita Hill during the hearings of sexual assault. Clarence Thomas was paved to ride the wave on the Supreme Court by Joe Biden. He was leading those investigations. Another problematic thing about this is that this this doesn't just— stop and start with forced birth and all of that. This is one thing that I think is really important is that domestic violence and homicide is actually going to increase dramatically because what I was stunned to realize is that the leading cause of death among pregnant women, no, it's not placental bleeding or um, you know emergency measures that, that are very devastating problems with the baby detaching or anything like that. It's actual homicide. Because men are more likely to kill their partner if they get pregnant. Wow. So we need to really think about how all-encompassing this is, how much it really is going to impact women, far beyond the most obvious takeaways from it. And I, I think I argued this two podcasts ago about 
the illegitimacy of SCOTUS in general. And instead of belaboring all of those points, I encourage people to watch a video that I posted that actually Edward Snowden himself just that. promoted. That was he just, surprising. He yeah. just promoted it because I, I was really surprised. I mean, basically, I'm calling for a new constitution and the Supreme Court to be completely overthrown. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised to see Snowden promoting that in a positive way. I was very, very impressed. Based as fuck. He also subsequently promoted Jody Dean, uh, an incredible intellectual who had a, a great articulation of women's role and how it's changed in the workplace under capitalism. And she has a big theory on neo-feudalism, how we're actually, capitalism has morphed into something worse. And now we're actually living in a neo-feudal era. Very interesting episode. I encourage people to check it out. But, but again, Snowden, you know, I... I, I was pleasantly impressed because here we're talking about all these other people who have really gone down the rabbit hole in the wrong ways. And I was just like, man, like well, I thought he had too. That's why I was part of why I was yeah, surprised. No, I mean, I mean, I'm impressed. I mean, he's, he's good on this and, and that's, that's great, man. Um, and yeah, props to Snowden, pardon Snowden, of course. Um, but, but Robbie, like we said, this isn't going to stop and start with, with reproductive health, this is this is a coup for the court system to just go balls to the wall. Within the same week, you had the gun legislation that basically said that um, states' gun laws are essentially not up to the states anymore, that they infringe on individual rights to try to have like concealed carry laws or anything like that. So that, that was overturned in New York, a 100-year-long standing law. Um, the EPA. The EPA was curbed significantly. It already was fucking toothless and wasn't really doing anything. But now it cannot regulate oil companies to the extent that it even could before. Um, police, I'm pretty sure, now cannot be sued for not reading Miranda rights. And the separation of church and state shrunk dramatically with another ruling. This was all within like a two-week span. Like God knows what's happening next. Yeah, I could see someone like Tucker Carlson being like, one of the liberals freaking out about this uh, Supreme Court ruling on the Miranda rights. <laughs> Everyone's watched TV. Like, everyone knows what their Miranda rights are. Come on. Like, you really need to, like, somebody's going to be confused about what their Miranda rights are. <laughs> I mean, there are, like, conservatives who probably actually think that. It's like, you'd have to be, like, a like a liberal asshole to, like, worry about, <laughs> like, the fundamental, like, Miranda rights. <laughs> I mean, but... Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty weird. Um, and I don't really know, you know, everybody talks, you know, I guess the most, the biggest cultural, cultural touchstone is Handmaiden's t Tale. And uh, Margaret, um, what's her name? What's, do you know the author's name? Do you remember? Oh, no, I don't. Margaret Atwood, I want to say, burned a copy, or she demonstrated burning an unburnable copy of the Handmaiden's Tale at some big auction recently, like right before it got overturned. Um, I appreciate the sentiment, but it, I think as a sort of a publicity stunt, it, it was the timing was bad. Cause like, you know, it, I don't know. Anyways, the whole, <laughs> it's, it's really fucking shitty. I hasn't even really sunk in for me yet. And, you know, I guess I'm just happy that there's still some positive things happening in the world um in the world of art you know like a you know some ai art tools are really sort of taking my mind off of some of this stuff right now um the back rooms uh horror series on youtube is uh is incredible the one that's actually made by the original uh 
producer con can cane pixels as his YouTube channel. Um, so that's, that's what I'm trying to distract myself with right now. And I don't know, Abby, as a woman, I, I can't even imagine how it feels for you. It's, um, I mean, I, you, I, I just don't think men have any real understanding of how serious this really is. It's, um, I, I think I articulated it pretty well because my anger and emotions came out. You know, I didn't I didn't break down and start crying about Cain and Abel like Jordan Peterson. But the anger shows because it's impossible to hide. And I don't think that we should hide it. We should be angry and we should be active because the power lies with us. And that's what happened when Roe did get enshrined when our abortion rights were secured. It wasn't because of the justices. It was because of us. It was because of the militancy of the movement. Yes, rent is crushing, suffocating everyone. Yes, it's impossible, nearly impossible to be, have sustained political activism. But I beg of you, get involved if you can. This should be a wake-up call, like you said, to abandon the Democratic Party as our saviors. This is the most ascendant right-wing shift that's happened in my lifetime, yes, the Bush administration was horrifying for completely other reasons. This is very, very scary, and it's happening very quickly, very quickly. And so we need to wake up. We need to wake up to the fact that this is going to continue no matter who is our president. And our rights lie within our ability to harness our own power. And they, we cannot let them corral us into an unjust political system and say that voting is the only recourse. We know that that's not true. We know that that's not true. They are not going to fucking fight for us. We need to fight for ourselves. And I do think that I need to go back and rethink some of my own view points of view, which I think maybe were pretty naive in retrospect, where I just assume, like I was saying kind of before, that um, you know, that maybe we were never going to get socialized medicine. Maybe we were never going to get sort of the same type of government that exists in European countries, but did seem like we were drifting more towards sort of a more liberal society frame in terms of being more accepting of homosexuality or, you know, sexuality in general, or just becoming more liberal in that regard or all different kinds of ways socially. But I, I guess in retrospect, that almost seems kind of naive to think that it would continue to be like that and that we'd ever get to a point where, Europe is in that regard um, because of like the conservative force here. I mean, it's just so strong. And the more quote unquote liberal things here get in that regard, the more those people can use that as a sign that society is going too far and it needs to be stopped. And that's always going to, they just have so much energy and funding. And I just, I think it's almost like a pipe dream to expect America to sort of safely coast into that world we're really up against if you want to be part of that more liberal society in that sense um i don't think it's going to be as easy as you thought in in the united states you know maybe in certain pockets of it it will be like the bay area of california you know certain parts of southern california whatever but i mean the country as a whole i i think it's it's i don't i don't think that's going to happen anymore i mean i just it's harder it gets harder for me to see that happening you know but I feel like totally. truth and and empathy and things like that will hopefully win out in the end. And I do think, you know, in some overly general way, like those liberal values, I sound like Robert King, are, um, <laughs> you know, are valuable. And like they will, they hold some value and merit and like being 
selfish, being protective, being paranoid. Um, I just hope that those don't win out, you know, over some of those other things. But all right. Well, do you want to wrap there or is there anything else? No, I mean, thanks for listening to us rant and rave. It's just cathartic to talk about this because it does seem like there's just this underlying tension just going out among, you know, going out in our daily lives now, especially in the wake of all these mass shootings. Uvalde just seems like a distant memory. The horrific massacre on July 4th from this psycho that we weren't able to talk about. It's just getting so dark. And now just this increased low-level anxiety that's just in the background constantly now about this, like just knowing that our, our this basic right of being able to control our bodies has been stripped from us in this heightened state of anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ noise that's happening. And, I, and you know, it's happening so quickly, Robbie, and it just I, we just we actually can't become numb to it. We just have to stay mad. We have to stay mad and we have to direct our energy and focus toward the people in power. And that means both parties. I mean, the right wing, of course, did this, but the Democrats let this happen. Yeah. And I mean, talk to any trans person around you. Um, not saying that if you don't know a trans person, that doesn't make you evolved or woke enough or anything like that. I'm just saying if you haven't checked in with anybody who's trans I recommend doing so and see how they feel about just the even just the incessant rhetoric they're hearing from the right about like drag queen story hour. I mean, even just that amount of outrage towards that is alarming to any trans person. They hear they know the dog whistles. They they understand what the, where this is going. They understand how alarming this is. And I think even maybe some of them until this this recent stuff with like Chris Rufo and all this anti-trans outrage happened, even some of them were not fully like thinking that this was going to turn. I mean, they probably were a little bit blindsided by it to a certain extent. Um, and I think that, yeah. So if you haven't checked in with a trans person that, you know, I recommend doing so just because I think that they, you know, they'll tell you that this is not, this is not normal. Um, so anyways, <laughs> thanks for listening to me. Roots radio. Um, <laughs> Of course, uh, as always, if you're not a subscriber to Media Roots Radio already, go to patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to a premium bonus episode every month. So, yeah. Check it out, dude. Thank you to the subscribers that are already subscribing. Um, And, uh, yeah, then you also get access to, like, a Discord channel. You can chat with other Media Roots listeners. Yeah, dude, I love the Discord channel. I love engaging with you guys in it, and I'm on it almost every day. So I would I would love to see you guys participate. It's a really fun way to just continue these chats um, there. And I have to remind people also that I do a call-in show. I'm not doing it weekly right now, but um, check it out. And it's a really fun way to, for you to engage also with me on their call-in live and chit-chat. So... Yeah, thanks thanks again, guys. I really appreciate your support, and I'd love to hear what you think in the SoundCloud comments. And rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Do what now? Do what now? <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>